If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a vibrant world of wonder. And here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what are the necessary steps to creating a fictional culture before we get to the wild part? (laughs) And how do we avoid putting too much extraneous work into culture creation? And how do I mash in modern music without breaking immersion? (laughs) Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So just to give you a little glimpse into the way that this brotherly dynamic works, it's really just perfectly one of us remaining unnamed doing things that aggravate the other of us. As a little bit of a backstory, my shower this morning, uh, I was reminded that we have a collection of stink towels. Initially, they smell fine, but... When they get wet, they smell like a dog's asshole. (laughs) Because one of us would love to just leave a load of towels in the washer for like five or six days to get a real funk going. And so you grab one and then you dry off and you go, oh God, I smell worse than before I got in the shower. (laughs) And then so you grab another one and it's like a sequel, like the return of stink towel is the second part in the trilogy. And then you grab another one and you get Stink Towel 3, Son of Stink Towel, as they just, it's the gift that keeps on giving and it drives me, nope, remaining unnamed, absolutely insane. You don't know which one of us does this. Well, I just want to say that you're supposed to buy a new towel every time. (laughs) You have to (laughs) if you live in this household. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Oh, where did you think I was going? I thought you were going to my other stink towel behavior. Oh, no. (laughs) Go on. Well, it's easy to forget your towel in the bathroom. Okay. So I thought you were just talking about the fact that there's like six towels on the single towel rack. And none of them are safe to touch. You don't know which one is okay. There is one. It's a riddle. (laughs) All these towels tainted but one. (laughs) Which one do you choose to dry your buns? (laughs) anyways so recently i went too deep on some backstory world building is my true joy and it's also my curse yeah because the thoughts in my head just cluster around and i don't know where to put them like you can just you can write and write and write and write and write and then you look at what you've done and you're just like this is a big old mess yeah the problem is is that if those details made it into the game great but like an iceberg you're only going to use maybe five or ten percent like that's all the players are ever going to see yeah and when i do that i usually skip that five or ten percent the alternative (laughs) is of course doing too little which ends up with either like really flimsy or really kind of uninspired cultures or you're blatantly ripping off another culture which 
can get really problematic really quick. Yeah, if you're doing it on purpose and using inspiration, that's one thing. But if you're just like using stereotypes that come to mind, that's... Well, that's what you do when you don't prepare. You just go immediately to the first culture that you can think of. And now all of a sudden that becomes a sticky situation. So how do we get to that Goldilocks zone? Just the right amount of planning. And we endeavored to find it. When I was thinking about this, I discovered that we already had a pretty cool system for something completely differently that almost worked for it, for creating a culture. So we just sat down with our character planner and tweaked it until it worked as a culture planner. And when we put it to the test, it worked really well. And the reason this works so well, oh, I feel a little gross even using this word because a student in one of my college classes used it. I I don't know. They must have gotten a word of the day calendar or something. And they just (laughs) beat the living shit out of this word so much that it became just obnoxious and pretentious. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But verisimilitude or the appearance of being true or real. And I really can't think of a better word to describe it is that when you hit that Goldilocks zone, when you make a culture feel real, even though it's not, it just requires just the right amount of planning and thought being put into it. I think it's really easy to, when you're building a world, to compare yourself to the masters of world building that we've seen. J.R.R. Tolkien. George R.R. Martin. Yeah, and they spent years doing that shit. And I bet you don't have years between each session. Do you think it's the R.R.? Do you want to become George... Jordar R N. I was gonna say Jordan R R. It was just everyone change their middle names to R R, and you will be a great world builder. Yeah, when you do that, the uh, portal opens and <laughs> the storytelling masters peek through. We also came across some list-based articles that asked uh, a lot of different cultural questions of like. What is their leadership style? And what are their holidays? And what about their arts? And I've tried to go through those before when I was new to DMing. And it was just really challenging every question because I I just didn't know. Yeah. And so I'd end up then like, what are their holidays? Okay, well, I guess I'll have to look up holidays from around the world, see if I can... And then I'd spend like an hour looking at holiday lists. Or you just rip off a holiday that you know of, and now all of a sudden your city celebrates Christmas. <laughs> You're just like, ah, sure, I guess. Yeah. And those are great questions, but we just find that you can't start there. Well, you did figure out where we could start. Well, a lot like characters that have traits that inform everything, cultures have values that inform everything. And once you have these core values figured out that's their approach to everything it lets you improv the details way easier and give that culture the depth that's needed when it comes up and helps you avoid going into too much depth because real cultures have infinite depth like you can go into cultures and subcultures endlessly but if you're setting out to do that before the campaign has even started you're bound to fail and it also really helps with not contradicting your culture with the next thing that you create for it and if you're a player don't tune out just yet because you can actually use this exact same system to help deepen your character and create a culture from whence they came 
So let's get into the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so take us through the steps. The steps have two phases. In phase one, you cover the values, the beliefs, and the backstory of your culture. Good. And phase two? In phase two, you get into more of the details, like the ideal life of one of the citizens, the major challenge of the culture, the friendly and hostile neighboring cultures, the artifacts, the cultural details, and the legends. Sounds like a lot, but maybe we can break this down. So let's dive into that kind of phase one step. So you started with values. Yeah. If you pick three to five values for your culture, these are going to be how they define success. So like us as Canadians, <laughs> what do we got as cultural values? Uh, achieving the, the largest donut hoard. <laughs> Great. Are you sure that's us? <laughs> or does that come from our US roots? Well, <laughs> that's a bit of both. That actually is probably pretty accurate because we span uh, Canadian and American heritage as we're both <laughs> half Canadian, half American. All right, fine. Hockey. Sure. I mean, I guess we're the outliers in that, <laughs> that we don't really dig hockey, but don't admit that we don't like hockey. Somebody's going to bang on our door and <laughs> beat the living shit out of us, jersey pull us and knock us to the ground. It's not that I don't like it. I just don't spend my time on it. Yeah, we have a different vocation uh i mean i think culturally we value equality even though we recognize that there's some issues that we have with some of that yeah and that's why they become issues because we recognize that there is a value there of a canadian heritage of equality so anyways that's one potential canadian value so if you were to fill out three to five of those so the next step is to identify three to five values that are the counterpoint to those original values? I think this can get a little bit tricky because they aren't exactly the counterpoint to, but what they have abandoned in place of pursuit of one of their their values. So one of the qualities that we've maybe abandoned is development. Like we take equality very seriously, which is why there is a lot of contention around pipelines being put through the country. Yeah. And so there's contention because we want to make sure that everyone is kind of represented there. The, <laughs> the, the nitty gritty of and... the political system yeah. in Canada. But that might be a nice counterpoint to our culture. Yeah. So then next. So then from those values, you can create beliefs. And this isn't necessarily super independent of the values, but it just helps you imagine what a person is thinking in that culture. I believe... The support of Tim Hortons is of my primary will and direction in life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or I think that if we make everyone equal, our country will be stronger for it. Hmm. Interesting. I like the donut narrative. <laughs> <laughs> sure. More donuts equals more happy. So these are more like beliefs of the culture in general, not belief in deities or anything else like that. Yes. Important point. The next step is fleshing out the culture's backstory with simple points. 
All you have to do is answer five questions. What environment did the culture form in? What existed before the culture? What changed allowing the culture to form? Was there a defining moment of this culture's identity or independence? And what world problem drives the culture to persist? Those are all really interesting explorations of that culture to, yeah, really kind of define how the culture forms. What state is it in right now? Yeah. And it again, it doesn't have to be super detailed. You can go into it if you want to, but as long as you hit those beats, it's easy for a citizen to tell their history. And at this point, you can just fill in whatever you're inspired by next. So we've completed phase one. We're on to phase two, which is a lot more freeform. And in here, you've got, in no particular order, the dream life. So that's just that ideal life that everyone's working towards. Yeah, the house with the white picket fence and the two-car garage, like, that's the ideal life. American dream. <laughs> Not everyone's ideal life. Fair enough. <laughs> but it's a it's a perfect example. Canadians might be a cabin Igloo. in the woods with, a, with three skidoos <laughs> yes. and a team of dogs. <laughs> Huskies. <laughs> that's every Canadian's dream. Nah, I've got a sled dog team of chihuahuas. <laughs> There's 500 yeah. of them. <laughs> But boy, they go. And it can't be deep snow. <laughs> it's just a light skiff. <laughs> Only works in Saskatchewan. No hills. <laughs> the next point is the major challenge. So what do you mean by the major challenge? So that's what the culture is currently wrestling with. And this can come from some of the conflict established with the previous steps in phase one, like the values. One of their core values is in competition with a value of a subculture or something like that. Or even conflict with the greater world. Yeah. If an entire world is warring for resources or there's a huge cataclysmic event that's being foretold, like what is their role within that greater challenge? Next is a culture that's friendly towards the one that you're building. And this is kind of cool because you don't have to flesh it out. But just knowing that this other culture exists and maybe you just list out their values. Or even a name. Yeah. You just need something to reference. It, like you say, it doesn't have to be all that in-depth. Then you've got a hostile culture. I like that I would say as a Canadian and, reminder, half American, that our respected and hostile culture is America. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little bit at odds every once in a while because of t-shirts that state that Canada is just America's hat. Damn t-shirts. <laughs> We don't have much choice but respect, I think, is the problem. <laughs> Sharing a border creates, well, it's like you and me. We have to, we have to get along because otherwise we would destroy each other. We share a border. <laughs> <laughs> so then next is artifacts. So what exactly informs an artifact? Well, I think it's the most appropriate term, but all it means is symbols that are of value to the culture. So like the snowmobile is... <laughs> An important cultural symbol. No, like a maple leaf is an important cultural symbol to Canadians. Gotcha. And you've also added a prompt for a nature symbol as well. So you've got kind of like a tool and something that is natural. So we could go with the snowmobile, but also, you know, we've got hockey. We've got yeah. all kinds of other things that some people might end up throwing on flags like a maple leaf. Yeah. We're all about maple. We drink it. A valued animal, or in D&D terms, a monster. That'd be far more interesting. Moose. Beaver. <laughs> then you've got identifying cues. 
So just things that you would notice about the average person walking through the street. This can be visual. So like what stands out about their clothing, what's appropriate to wear, like a toque. You've got style, which is mostly plaids. <laughs> yep. Or the Canadian tuxedo. Ah, yes. Denim from head to toe. <laughs> and, you know, when you're making a culture from scratch, gestures is really powerful, too, because we've got all of the gestures that we take for granted in North America, but they can vary greatly. Just coming up with a simple greeting, like if I'm a DM at a table and I want to pull my players into a world, just greeting them in a foreign way that if they are traveling from a long distance and they aren't familiar with the culture, if I can greet them in a way that kind of takes them off guard and it's some kind of gesture or a saying or something like that, it hints at a deeper, richer world that they're about to explore. May the chihuahuas lead you to glory this day. And the beavers to you, sir. <laughs> Man, I think we should reinvent Canadian culture. I think we should too. I think <laughs> our take on it is way better. <laughs> And this goes a lot deeper, too, because, again, if you think of greetings and goodbyes and hellos and uh, what hand symbol you use for saying sweet, good yeah. job. You got thumbs up. You got I mean, I think it's weird that even nodding our heads is a cultural gesture. And then all of the oddities that we notice is when somebody is speaking to us and they've finished a thought. We will add, yeah, sure, but no. Like, what? What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but no. <laughs> yeah, sure, but no. I wonder if we've used that in this podcast anywhere. Oh, man. I'm sure if we scrubbed it, we'd find a couple <laughs> of them. So, yeah, this goes all the way down to phrases. And then your final step. So, finally, you can create some legends. And, again, this tempts you to go into that deep territory. Yeah, be careful. Or you write a novel about the legendary heroes of your culture. But you really don't need to do this. Just flesh out the hero's journey. We'll include the basic steps. The hero embodies one of their beliefs and they succeed. Paul Bunyan is a great example of like a legend. It's, it's a tall tale. And every culture has different kinds of tall tales, whether they be about uh, lore around a monster that stalks the woods or a hero that triumphed this day uh, long, long ago. And what, what did they do? And usually, those are going to be indicative of those core values that the culture has. Paul Bunyan chopped down a million trees and worked his ass off. And that's a perfect <laughs> example of, of a legendary figure. Because Canadians value hard work? Yeah, I guess. Or they value axes? They definitely value axes. <laughs> It's our currency. <laughs> I will take that crate of eggs for three axes, please. Yeah. So I think it'd be really fun once we're done creating a culture using this system to kind of create a, a citizen template for it. So like once you have all those values and all of this stuff figured out, you can create a single NPC and then every NPC you want to put into the world that your characters interact with, you just tweak that template a bit. I can make one NPC diverge from the whole and make them stand out as just flipping their value on their head. Yeah, I agree with four of the five, but the fifth one is where I really diverge, and yeah. I diverge hard, and let me tell you about it. And they've got all the same you know, mannerisms and customs and styles, so they, they feel like a part of the culture still. It's not just a mishmash of random individuals living in a town together. I struggle with this so much, and especially the clothing, 
Like I want to deep dive into some of the clothing and why they wear what they do because otherwise they're all just walking around in average medieval garb yeah and tabards and armor like that that doesn't tell me much about the culture it yeah. informs the european folklore that i want to kind of fit some of my medieval fantasy around because that's really all i know because i haven't gone to the depths of creating a culture and starting to figure out the the more minute details I can see so much possibility from using this too, because so if I've got a bunch of citizens from the culture I just built in my town and I want to spice it up a little bit more, I can just take an allied culture and pepper in some of those citizens or pepper in some of their values. And now you've got one person that's migrated from one culture to another. Yeah. They're a mishmash of the two yeah. like we are. Yeah. So let's go through a deeper example of this. Let's put this into practice, put our money where our mouth is. I don't have any money. That's right. All I've got is a mouth. Axes. <laughs> yes. Axes is our currency. So let's practice this on the city of Red Cleft, which is our homebrew city. Uh, we actually borrowed the concept of a desert city that is surrounding a, a city that has been built up surrounding a monster in the middle. And it's completely isolated. It doesn't have any neighboring cities. It's really hard to travel from. Yeah. That's that's the concept we're building from. So we start with values. And we wanted this to be a bad place for our players to exist. So keep that in mind. <laughs> this doesn't represent our values as people. So the first value is survival of the city. Obviously, this place is isolated. We need to support this city which wouldn't naturally exist because yeah. it's been built up around a monster and so to honor that value they sacrifice individual needs so that's a pretty good example of where one value is competition to the other and i think what's really important to consider when writing these is that they're not the antithesis of one another so for example we have Innovation is another value. And innovation could be like, what is the antithesis of inter innovation? Stagnancy, I yeah, guess. Yeah. But in this case, it's actually safety. So you can switch and swap values around. They don't have to be directly correlated. The easiest way for me to think about it is just, here's their value. Now, what value are they sacrificing in order to have that value? Yeah. So the next value is strength. And to get that, they sacrifice loyalty. And skill above all else. Skill and craftsmanship and things like that. But they don't really give a shit about the individual health. They enjoy spectacle. But to get it, they sacrifice practicality. So there's no positive or negatives here. It's just values. And the combinations make them interesting. Yeah. The more random those combinations are, the more interesting they become <laughs> because it starts you thinking about like, why? Why would these two be, why would one sacrifice the other? And just that combination makes them incredibly compelling to explore. And they can inspire all kinds of conflict within the city. Like if you've got groups that actually agree with the other value. Totally. It's a really good source for that. So then you have beliefs. These just help me get inside the mind of the citizens. So if the city survives, the world survives. Uh, in this city, if the beast were released, 
really bad things on a global scale would happen. So that's how they've sacrificed individualism, because the entire world may suffer if the beast was released, and therefore the city must survive at all costs. If I create new things, my family will prosper. So I can contribute to that community, make some money, my family's overall experience is going to go up. And that survivalist bent comes back into the stronger I become, the more I can handle that others can't. The stronger I become, the more I can handle what others can't. So yeah, just that initial strength. So yeah, you can craft out a couple of these statements that really help inform their beliefs, the, the average citizens. And you can make two to five, I would say, is a good number. Well, I mean, I just built one sentence for every value. Perfect. So what about a culture backstory? Well, we'll just run through our questions. What environment did the culture form in? A uh, desert. It kind of grew up around the beast, so it's in the middle of the desert. What existed before the culture? Uh, nothingness. It was a wasteland. Easy. What changed, allowing the culture to form? The beast was captured, and then it was starting to be harvested for its resources. Was there a defining moment of this culture's identity or independence? I think the capture and then also like building the walls around it. That created the city itself. And getting the resources to be able to survive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What global problem drives the culture to persist? Well, the aforementioned beast, if it were to escape, it has global consequences. So the city must persist. So then we enter phase two. And phase two, again, doesn't have any kind of rhyme or reason to which one you have to fill out first. Right, but... You know, since this podcast goes through time linearly, <laughs> I guess we have to Touché. <laughs> do them in some order. So the dream life, the average citizen thinks that the best they can do is to work effortlessly at a skill for one of the ruling families of the city, creating new things so the families can thrive and your family can do well in the world. And I think with those ruling families, they promise all of the things that come with a better life to anyone that would rise to that position. Nice. And the next piece, we had already written some factions that fit into these categories just absolutely seamlessly. And so the major challenge within the city, which is the next step, is the goal of some of their subcultures. So they have very split cultural groups. One wishes to protect the beast and another wishes to kill the beast, thinking that that is the better course of action. But either would result in probably bad consequences. So that actually created the major challenge and the friendly and hostile cultures in the city. And so to flesh those out properly, those groups, we can just use this whole system again, tweak some of the values of this original culture, or pare it down, and we've got... A pretty fleshed out world at that point. So then you have artifacts? Yeah, so just to give some details to the city now, we could have the cleaver as kind of a symbol of the strength and... Because they're always cutting apart that big monster in the middle. So we've got a good old meat cleaver. Meat is plentiful. Blood is plentiful in this city. It's kind of a gross, disgusting city. And so maybe that's something that an average citizen might want 
the nicest of the cleavers. Like that's a bit of a status symbol. Yeah, totally. Or maybe some groups actually wear a tiny cleaver around their neck as a symbol. Yeah. Maybe it's on robes. Some groups take it take it to heart. I mean, it could be a stylized version of a cleaver. It could be the signs for different shops, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So then you need kind of a natural artifact. Uh, we could easily use bone. Oh, yeah, because it's a, it's a byproduct of that monster. Yeah. So they eat the meat, but they save the bone and use that in other applications. Well, they could make a lot of simple tools from bone. They could... It could be their jewelry, their their decor. Yeah, there's lots of like bone beads. And so, yeah, maybe they would decorate themselves and adorn themselves with different uh, types of bone. You could also use glass really easily since they're in the desert. Oh, probably not that hard to... Touche, yeah. <laughs> Make a pile of sand, right? It's that easy? And a magnifying glass? Well, and then the obvious answer for a valued animal or monster would be the beasts themselves. Yeah. Like they are the life giver. They are what allow the city to exist. It's almost a god. Ooh, yeah. So let's get into the identifying cues. What kind of clothes would they wear? Well, considering how plentiful blood is in this city and that we've kind of established there's almost rivers of it running through the city itself, kind of like Deadpool in his brown pants, comment, this is uh, red clothes because if you wear any kind of clothes, chances are just walking through the streets you're going to stain them a dark crimson blood red. Yeah. And so why not just lean into that and make red clothes? So everyone just wears that. Well, that could be like the common clothes, but maybe it's a status of wealth in the city to have undyed garments. Ooh. Like, yeah, any kind of whites or blues or, you know, just the opposite of red is just like, damn, that person (laughs) is well off. How do they stay untainted? They don't have to walk through the streets. If one of their values is spectacle, maybe they do elaborate scarves. You know, you want head coverings in the desert. So maybe that's the the thing that everyone shows their personal identity with is their okay. elaborate scarf. And in our legends, we were talking about the fact that every family's founder could have their own legend about why they were important to the capture of the beast. Ooh, yeah. And... So every one of these elaborate scarves could have your family of choice and their yes. legend on it, embroidered on it. Yeah, and some the finer kind of the better. Faction symbol. Yeah, you're almost like giving a little nod to the family, hoping that maybe they'll notice you kind of thing. Well, we also have the city divided into quarters. You're going to support one of the houses in your quarter. Yeah, totally. So let's get into the gestures. If we need a greeting, uh what about like a salute? You know, whenever you approach somebody, it's hard to see them in that direct, scorching, hot desert sun. So they're all wearing visor caps. No, no, (laughs) not where I was going with that. That's not a greeting. Uh, But what if they raise their their hand to their uh, forehead so that they can see? And that just slowly became the greeting. So now they do it even if they're indoors. Okay. As they just kind of salute. It's a symbol that you are being noticed. Yeah. What about a thanks? Well, it could be just... Some reference to the beast. I mean, something like the beast provides. That's a great one. So we can probably rattle through the the others like great and goodbye and then like positive or negative affirmations. Yes, no, that kind of stuff. These are really fun to just like sit down and list out. And each one of these just gives another tiny detail to pepper in where you can. Of course, the danger of creating too many is that you'll forget them all. 
Yeah, there can sometimes be a few too many, but having just a list of a couple of these, you can use them every once in a while yeah. to really strengthen the lore that you've created in this world and avoid the whole, I've created this story about the thousand year war in which generals took place and because that's never going to encounter your players. Yeah. But a greeting from an NPC that runs a shop Yes, that's going to happen literally every game. And I never have these planned out. But I mean, if you've done that world building already and you've got every moment of that thousand year war planned out, just use that to flesh these out. Yeah. And all of a sudden it becomes applicable. So the final step, legends. So other than kind of the legends of the houses like we were talking about, each house can tell of their own founder. You can do things like prophecies too. Like the beast escapes and destroys everything and that again is informed by that whole city and its whole reason for being so this would be the doomsday scenario and everyone's kind of expecting that one day and they're all working towards avoiding it and of course if you want to be cool like canada you gotta include a sport like hockey <laughs> we didn't include that step because obviously every culture loves hockey right yep yep, yep. so hopefully that all makes sense you can download this resource on our website as a form-fillable PDF. Just a quick recap. Phase one, values, beliefs, backstory. Phase two, ideal life, major challenge, friendly and hostile cultures, artifacts, cultural details, and legends. Done deal. We have a fleshed out culture. On to our second segment, Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. All right, so for this one, it's just fun. This isn't going to be like, oh, now I can restructure the entire way that I play the game. <laughs> but it will give your players just a moment at the table. When you hit play on this, and if you're a player, by all means, just say, hey, for this session, I'm going to run the music. And then when you get to the tavern, you hit play on this and every... Don't don't ask players to pay attention during this because they're, all of their attention is going to be slowly drawn away from the tavern music that is playing to like, I know this. All right, well, let's explain what the heck we're talking about. Stadi Olsa. Does that clear it up? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. This is a band, and they use copies of original early instruments. They reconstruct ancient traditions of Eastern Europe, and they immerse their audiences in true musical history. Sounds cool, right? Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But you need a hook. You need something more, because this just sounds like traditional. Sounds like appropriate music for D&D &D in yeah. the right setting. A lute, maybe. Yeah. What's the catch? That they cover modern rock songs. <laughs> there we go. They've got songs like Metallica's One, Another Brick in the Wall, A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> Californication is probably my favorite. It's And they all start, like you were saying, with it just sounds like tavern music. It just sounds like really well done medieval music. And then you start to recognize the beat. You're like, what? And then they get into the main part of the song. <laughs> and I think this goes beyond just regular music that you can find some, from, say, video games or something like that, like background from fantasy games, because these are all immaculate performers that are very well equipped to play these 
nearly forgotten instruments. Yeah, because as soon as I recognize the song, my next thought is always like, wow, this is beautiful. Yeah, they're doing a really good job at it. And they tour Ren Fairs, obviously, stuff like that. But here's, uh, here's a short sample of what one of their songs would sound like. So this actually came about because I randomly came across some post online about a medieval cover of Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. And this is actually on the YouTube channel Cornelius Links. So this is a separate thing. And there's a couple already up. It's really good. It's just tremendous. They have a cover of the Coffin song um, that's going around everywhere (laughs) right now in meme format. There's not much that's more satisfying than a medieval cover of a modern song. It's there's, so good. Yeah. There's not much on this page yet, but they just basically started up in April. I'm not really sure who's behind it, but I'll be watching and subscribing to that one because I cannot wait for different covers and I cannot wait to pepper both into my game. And if anyone ever plays that bard that wants to play modern music, you cut them off and you say, this is the only modern music you're allowed to use. <laughs> And then you tell them to go listen to our Bard episode. So that wraps up this show. Before we go, though, we wanted to read another one of these tremendous reviews. My God, my heart is full. We are grateful. So this one is focused and fun. Five stars. Every episode zones in on a subject for DMs and players of D&D and tackles solutions to problems or approaches to subject matter to help play great games. Hey, that's our line. (laughs) drawing from physical resources interviews and the industry and their own experience this podcast offers a ton to anyone who plays the game and that is by leprechaun who wrote this before becoming a pillar of our discord community thank you so much leprechaun we're very familiar at this point um so yeah thank you very much for writing that review so long ago this is one of our earlier ones and it really pumped us up oh yeah It kept us floating along. And also, you know what else I appreciated? The proper spelling of the unit of weight of a ton. (laughs) Congrats. You win Travis's ton award. (laughs) The other thing that I appreciate is the special shout out to the physical resources, like the one we included with this episode, because they're a ton of work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't do any of it. (laughs) Travis, just I just lock them in here and say, don't come out till you're done. And... And it gets hot. Yeah. It gets really sweaty. Like right now, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a small room. We don't have any ventilation. Yeah. All right. Good so times. thanks for Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. And, and play, play great, great games. Hockey. Oh. Fuck, I thought you were going to go it's along with it this time. It's a form of a game. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs>